getting engaged and married is one of the milestones most people want to achieve in hopes that it will lead to the dream of a happy family. However, there are times where people make mistakes, they cheat, and everything takes a wrong turn. Here are their stories. Emmett Corrigan and Candy Hall Affair Emmett had a successful law career, a beautiful wife, four beautiful children, and a baby on the way. All of this at the age of 30. When he first graduated from law school, he was hired by a bankruptcy and criminal defense firm in Idaho when he met his paralegal named Candy Hall. Candy also had a husband, but at the time, he had just told her that he was having an affair. Therefore, she acted on her feelings of neglect and began having an affair with Emmett. Though Candy's husband ended his affair, Candy continued to stay in her marriage while sleeping with Emmett on the side. Eventually, Candy's husband Rob found out. On March 11, 2011, Emmett's wife decided to clean out her husband's car but instead she found multiple amounts of empty prescription bottles which explained why he was acting weird the night before. But this night, he randomly stormed out explaining that he was going to a local Walgreens. Meanwhile, in Candy and Rob's home, Candy was packing her boxes, preparing to move out when an argument arose and Candy also decided to go to the local Walgreens. Candy and Emmett met in the parking lot where Candy jumped in the truck and they drove away to have sex. While having sex, Rob called Candy knowing that she was with Emmett. Rob asked to speak with him and Emmett responded with, Yeah, what's up chief? and continued to say, No, stay there, we'll be right over. They drove back to Walgreens where Rob could be seen pacing up and down the aisle. An argument broke out which turned physical, causing one of the men to fall to the ground. Candy walks away in an attempt to get Rob to move away as well. That is when she heard three gunshots fired. Both men were shot but only Emmett died. Rob was charged with second degree murder but claims he only shot him in self-defense. However, the evidence did not match his statements since he was the one who brought the gun to the scene. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Tracy Bernard Burleson and Tyone Pollard Palmer Affair Tracy and Pauletta Burleson first met in 1994 at the First New Mount Calvary Baptist Church where they hit it off almost immediately, building a relationship based on their shared faith. A year later, they got married in July of 1995. Tracy eventually was appointed as pastor in 2008. They settled into the congregation and went on with life raising their sons, 18-year-old William Fuller from Tracy's previous marriage, and two adopted foster children. Almost immediately, the churchgoers noticed a toxic relationship. Reports even showed that their day-to-day -day life was routinely interrupted with crime and infidelity. Pauletta was highly unfriendly and Tracy, on the other hand, was very forceful with parishioners, coercing them to leave the ministry if they couldn't contribute to the congregation monetarily, even writing formal letters demanding money. The congregation applied for the relief aid from the Federal Emergency Management Agency after Hurricane Ike damaged the church. The money was supposed to repair the roof, but instead, the pastor and his wife showed up with brand new cars. Aside from issues with the church, their personal life started to unravel as well. They were both charged with three counts of injury to a child, beating them with an iron cord and boards. Then one day, Tracy began an affair with Tyone Pollard Palmer, who was his son's caregiver. 
Pauletta grew tired and called it quits after finding him having sex with another woman in the pastor's study. She moved out of the house that she owned and parishioners asked officials to remove Tracy as a pastor after they heard of the affair. Then, on May 12, 2010, church members woke up to learn that their church was on fire, with more than three-fourths of the roof had already caved in. Afterwards, only the sanctuary was left intact. Just six days later, on May 18th, Tracy came home to find his wife shot in their driveway. He said that Pauletta had moved back to the home after an operation and that night he left to buy chips and a chocolate bar only to return to find his wife gunned down. However, the police did not believe his statements because the chips and chocolate he claimed to have bought was nowhere to be found and the store he said he had gone to was already closed at the time he said he left. A tip came in which prompted them to interrogate their 18-year-old son William, which he confessed that his father had hired him to kill his stepmom for $2,000 of the $60,000 life insurance payout. Tracy's affair partner, Tyone, waited in the car while the 18-year-old shot Pauletta. She then took him to her cousin's home to shower, change, and wipe down the gun. They then dumped it outside of the immediate city. Tracy was sentenced to life in prison. Tyone received 7 years in prison with an additional 10 years with tampering with evidence, and William was sentenced to 20 years in prison as well. Bob Harris and his affair with a doctoral student in 1990, Bob and his wife Colleen married and had three kids. They divorced in 2004, but only to remarry just a year later. Then in 2012, Bob took a trip to Mongolia where he taught environmental conservation to a university. This is where he met another woman and began a relationship. He returned to California, separated from his wife, and moved out. But when Colleen was stuck in a home after a hip replacement surgery, he moved back home to help her. On the 5th of January 2013, she overheard her husband making a call to his girlfriend overseas between the hours of that night. In the following morning, she shot him while he was asleep. Afterwards, she drove to San Francisco where she hid her husband's cell phone, a handgun, which was not the same one used, and his coin collection in their son's garage. She returned home, called her usual lawyer, and told him she shot her husband. The lawyer contacted the police department. Colleen then told the authorities that she had been in a gray fog and insisted that she would never willingly do this to her husband. She even said that she was in the same fog in 1985 when she was acquitted in a trial for shooting her first husband claiming it self-defense. In both cases, she said she couldn't remember killing him and even had a psychiatrist testify that she suffered from limited amnesia. However, the prosecution said that based on evidence, one shot was done from afar while another was from up close. They continued by saying that the murder was premeditated because he had just called the woman he had relations with before being killed. The prosecution also pointed out that she initially told them it was suicide and only later did she state that the shooting was an accident when they wrestled over the gun on their bed. However, one thing the jury can't deny is that this is the second husband who she had shot, which was carried out in the same home with the same type of gun and in both cases after pulling the trigger, she claimed that she had the same, and I quote, fog, which resulted in temporary amnesia. The 73-year-old grandmother was found guilty of first-degree murder and will spend the rest of her life in prison. Hyde Family Affair 
Philip was a successful real estate developer who has made millions in his work in a county only about an hour away from Savannah, Georgia. Philip had a family. He had been married to his wife Linda for 42 years and had three sons, Craig, Chris, and Carrie. On August 25, 2008, before dawn, police responded to their home. Immediately, they noticed that the crime scene was staged to look like a burglary. Though phone lines were cut and a pane of glass were smashed into a door, nothing was taken at all, and the jewelry that was laying around was still present. Also, nothing was rummaged through and a significant amount of money was left out. They found three victims. Their son Carrie was shot first, then Philip, then Linda, but only grazed her face and continued through her right shoulder. The gunman then drenched the entire home in gasoline. As the investigation continued, it was soon revealed that Robin Hyde, the youngest brother's wife, was having an affair with the older brother Craig. Craig was a divorced, unemployed man who lived off of disability and owed a large amount of child support. Robin eventually told Carrie the truth and the distraught husband, just a few weeks before he died, changed his $3.5 million life insurance policy, removing Robin as a beneficiary. Craig and Carrie's father, Philip, also told Craig, and I quote, knock it off with your brother's wife or lose your entire inheritance. The weekend before the murders, Robin was at Craig's cabin one night when they both got a rude awakening when Craig's father, Philip, had them tracked down by a helicopter to take photos for evidence of the affair. Craig became very angry and told Robin that her brother and father should watch out or else he was going to play, and I quote, old school on them. She then went home to an argument with Carrie, which prompted him to move into his parents' home while they figured out what they were going to do. That Sunday, the same night of the murders, Robin called Craig and Craig asked her where Carrie had gone, and she told him that he was staying at their parents' home for now. The next morning was when they found the bodies. Craig, when interrogated, denied the affair and failed the lie detector test. But what put the nail in the coffin was the fact that the shotgun recoiled and left a significant bruise that can only be done by a gun similar to the one used. When Craig was asked about it, he said that he had fallen, but falling does not produce enough pressure to bruise that heavily. Nine months after the murders, Craig was set to marry Robin, his dead brother's wife, but before it got any further, she cancelled the engagement and broke it off with him by testifying against him, pushing a guilty verdict. Craig was sentenced to two life terms plus 85 years. To this day, the rest of the family still stand by Craig and some jurors have shared that the real manipulator is Robin. Sarah Williams and Ian Johnston's Affair Ian Johnston and Sadie Hartley had been in a relationship since 2005. They shared a $500,000 home in a Lancashire mill town of Palm Shore since 2014. However, in the midst of the relationship, Ian met 35-year-old Sarah Williams at the indoor ski slope of Manchester's Chill Factory, where they were both working. Though she was 30 years younger than him, two years after meeting, they began a sexual relationship. Sarah soon became very obsessed with Ian, wanting to continue the affair even though Ian tried to dump her only a few months later. Her obsession came to light when a text to a friend read and I quote, The fireman is just totally awesome. I'm hook, I'm line, and I'm sinker. The fireman has feelings for the golden-haired, brilliantly creative, and creatively brilliant she-devil. I'm screaming at a pitch where only dogs and bats can hear me. Then one day, Ian went on a skiing holiday with his girlfriend Sadie. Suddenly, Sarah appeared in the same hotel too. In fact, she was there with her 75-year-old semi-retired businessman husband named David Hardwick. Her husband was described as her sugar daddy who gave her continuous 
business allowance in her own home. In September of 2014, she sent an anonymous letter to Sadie boasting of the fantastic sex with Ian and accusing her of blackmailing him to stay together. Sarah continued to send Ian messages and exchanged explicit texts in December of 2015. Then, on a cold evening in January 14, Sadie Hartley was shot by a 500,000 volt stun gun and stabbed 41 times by Sarah. Sadie was found by police the next night on the 15th face down in her own pool of blood. In the investigation, they found that the murder was planned and premeditated by Sarah and her well-educated and intelligent friend Katrina Walsh, who worked as a horse riding instructor. When interviewed by authorities, Katrina told police she never believed Sarah would actually carry out the crime and thought that it was only a game they were playing. The two visited Germany less than a month before the murder and bought the stun gun. The saleswoman recalled that Sarah actually wanted to buy a device that was twice as powerful but it was not in stock. Ten days before the murder, Sarah sent Katrina a text that read, Don't forget to crack down on your shopping. Suddenly, it's time. Katrina was the one who bought the car, the tracker, the knife, and some of the clothes used in the murder plot. A week before the murder, the two friends went on a few dry runs to specifically scout out Sadie's home. Then, at the night of the murder, Sarah drove to the residence alone, and a neighbor's CCTV camera showed Sarah parking at the end of the road, leaving her car to only calmly return four minutes later. In that short amount of time, Sadie was murdered. Sarah met up with Katrina at a park nearby where her friend tried to destroy the evidence. During and after the trial, the two friends blamed each other, but both were sentenced to life in prison. Hey everyone, thank you for watching. Please like, comment, subscribe, and turn your notifications on. Also, keep in mind we will be releasing our vlog premiere at 5,000 subscribers, so stay tuned for that. Bye.